You are listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Melbourne to Baltimore, from London to Piraeus. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never lose the latest updates and stories of the team you love. This is our team, our city, and our land. Man, Oniro Trello. You're listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone, to another edition of Gate 7 International by the fans, for the fans, your number one English source for all things Libyakos FC and Greek soccer. Costa, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good, Ari. Thank you so much for the invite, as always. Always an honor. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm better that we got our first win of the season. And <laughs> I know, I know, I know you're pumped to get into that. And you also have some lovely, lovely exclusive news about CSE. Pumped to get into all of that. But before we go any further, guys, if you haven't done so already, don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, like and subscribe. Just go hit that button real quick if you want to stay up to date with the latest news about Olympiacos and also just to stay connected with the community that we have built of Olympiacos fans please do not forget to do so. And just a couple quick housekeeping items, guys. We are generating some new content over here at Gate 7 International. We've got a couple of video shorts that'll be coming out. One of them is the deep dive on Fadiga. So that will be a, a short video, again, just highlighting what uh, we saw when we watched the tape of Fadiga. So hopefully you guys get excited for that. But we also have a fun video about Martins and his evolution at Libyakos since he joined. Again, it's not a very long a very long video, but we think it hits the point of just about everything that's there. So I hope you guys like it and look for that later this week. All of that stuff will be coming out. And of course, we want to thank our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International is your one-stop shop for all of your international trans-shipping needs. Whether you're shipping olive oil, packages, or cars, Piraeus is here to help. Please give our friends a call at 410-675-4696 or send them an email to sales at piraeusintl.com. See how they can help you today. Now, Costa, after a very difficult start to the new year where we had three games, zero wins, two draws and a loss to be specific. Um, more recently, the loss to Panetolikos in the Cup. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of pressure on Libyakos going into this game against Yanina. Uh, not just to win, but to also perform better. Perform mm -hmm. in a way that is appropriate of Olympiakos, of this red and white strip here. So, for me today, the team was at the very least better in both respects. Mm -hmm. So, I think... With the win and with the performance today, it's going to stave some of that off. How did you? How do you feel about that? To be honest with you, Adi, I feel like uh, the Greek league is in is in a level right now that even if Olympiakos won seven nil or eight nil every week, it wouldn't really make much of a difference. It wouldn't really make a statement. Uh, it just shows, I mean, you, you have a team like Olympiacos who didn't make it to the Champions League, but they've been a mainstay in the Champions League and the Europa League since 2007 when they finally won an away game. But then you look at their opposition who struggled, either struggled to get to the Conference League or barely made it through to the Conference League. So I don't think the Greek League even shows anything anymore. At least Atalanta can't take much from that game because Pasianin are so much are so beneath Olympiacos and Atalanta um, as well. Uh, or, uh, as a Premier League reporter myself, what can I say? I can say that uh, I've been watching a lot of Arsenal and Arsenal haven't won their first game in 2022 yet. They lost to Man City in the Premier League. They were eliminated in the FA Cup by Nottingham Forest. You know, that Marinakis factor is still, is still very much into play. They were eliminated from the Carabao Cup after a draw and a loss to Liverpool. And they failed to beat Burnley today. And Burnley are bottom of the Premier League as it stands right now. So, 
at least they don't have the Arsenal factor going on right now. But I have to say another thing. I um, Before Man United's game with West Ham, I got to see Man United's uh, squad. And I got to say, there's so much quality in that team. So many good players. So much more quality than the 2012-2013 team that won the Premier League for the last time. But, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson was at the helm back then. And if there's only one thing they have in common with Olympiacos, and it is only one thing they have in common, is that there is so much quality in that team, but for some reason it just doesn't click. And there's also a really good manager at the helm. It just doesn't click right now. So many good players that were hit by COVID, they were hit by a, a series of factors such as a lot of good players that haven't moved on when they should have moved on. There's also the Semedo factor, which, in my opinion, uh, poses as a shadow on the team. Because Semedo was one of the most popular figures in the back in, in, in the dressing room. Right. I mean, this whole thing happened, and he's still there, and you know, we still don't know what the hell is going on with him. It's just there's this team with a lot of quality players that, for some reason, is not clicking. A manager that is really good and has led Olympiacos to unbelievable and unforeseen success in Europe that for some reason cannot really uh, convince that they can, uh, they can get a result like they did in 2019-2020. Olympiacos are going to win the league, not because they're the best, but because they're the least worst. The Greek Cup, I mean, you mentioned the losses, but Olympiacos were playing their second, so it doesn't really count. But still, I'm not convinced Olympiacos can win the cup. You know, anything can happen. They can play Pauk and still get eliminated like last year. And Atalanta, well, they're in a whole different league. Yeah, that's that's really true. It it really is. Look, all things considered, it's we're I don't I think we're beyond the point of expecting a miracle, right? There's only so much improvement that I think is possible for us to see with this team. I don't see overall the level of play we've had this season to get that much better. Do I hope we can tidy a few things up and maybe make things a little bit less crappy or here and there? Yeah, but I'm now at the point, I'm beyond believing that we're going to make a miraculous turnaround and all of a sudden start playing the beautiful ball that we remembered. So, but bringing it back to this game, this specific game against Yanina today, when when the match started and we were posting the lineups and the the um, the individuals that were in the roster, three four three obviously uh, reared its ugly head again, and many fans got really upset. First, looking at the partnership in the back, Avram with Usain uh, Uba and Cosas Manolas, it wasn't necessarily the latter that upset people; it was the former. It was Avram. And, you know, we'll go into this later. I don't think Avram had a bad game. But the thing that has been continuing to sit really poorly with fans is why, oh, why does he continue to play over Markovic? What is going on with Markovic that he is not rated? Uh, Adruzos was starting over Kenny Lala, which surprised some people. And something that I thought was a pleasant surprise, which a vocal minority seemed to dislike, was the starting of Valbuena alongside Youssef El Arabi and Yorgos Masuras. Now, that surprised me for a couple of reasons. One, because, look, I understand that he's old and we can't get a full game out of him. But at this stage in the league, based on the performances, you know, we have plenty of data with how we've performed so far. We know what our spectrum is this season. We need to have our most creative people on the field. I don't care if Valbuena can barely stand. He is by far right now the most creative presence on this Olympiacos team. And to further support that, Costa, I have some stats for you. I know I've already said these to you already. I, I sent them to you guys. and I, We were going to make a post on social media about it, but then we decided to save it for the podcast. The best so, part of the podcast. <laughs> the best part of the podcast. The best. Lay them, lay them down. So – uh, before this game today, guys, um, and again, I just want to say this to everyone. I know not everybody was against Valbuena starting. Most people seem to be happy, and they believed he deserved it. At least most people in, in the chat that are currently here, I think, share the same opinion. But I just wanted to share these stats with you guys. Uh, prior to this game against Yanina, 
Matthew Valbuena has not played for this club this season a thousand minutes yet. So he really has not had a lot of time on that field. But in that 1,000 minutes, he has seven assists, an expected assist metric of 4.46, which is the highest on the team, by the way. 47 total passes to the penalty area. 47. We don't have any other player that has close to that level of delivery. Six smart passes. To remind you all, smart passes are passes. They're usually through balls, but they don't necessarily have to be. That give the team a significant advantage into an attack. So they create major threatening opportunities for us. He's had six of those. And eight key passes. Remember, a key pass is a pass that gets played to somebody directly for a shot on goal. But it is not, it does not go in. So he's had eight of those. He, in terms of his per 90-minute performance, he has a higher level of productivity, offensive productivity, than anybody else on the team. Now, a lot of you may be upset uh, that we have a 37-year-old that unfortunately is a pivotal point of this team. But this is just the way it is, unfortunately. And he, and this is the circumstance. Valbuena is our most creative person going forward and going into the box. So he has to play. Costa, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Matteo Valbuena is a player that would have been remembered much more fondly if it wasn't for the Karim Benzema scandal. He got the uh, the pulled the short end of that stick. Uh, I'm not surprised, really. I mean, I just said it myself. Uh, he is a player with immense quality. Um, obviously, I'm not going to say the uh, the WC world this WC word, but he is a luxury for Greek football. It really depends on what kind of opponent Olympiacos are facing. Because in my opinion, he's more of an impact player. Like for Atalanta, it'd be much more sane if he came on during the second half. You you mentioned about the key passes, El Arabi and Tiquinho are, are those kind of strikers that are not really going to pick up the ball and, you know, do stuff with it. Like Kylian Mbappé did, does in, at Paris Saint-Germain, like uh, Erling Haaland does at Borussia Dortmund. They need to be fed that ball. They need good wingers. They need a good playmaker at the back. And in general, I have to say, maybe you can help me with this. I am very confused about Olympiacos' identity and philosophy because, like it or not, Ernesto Valverde was the one that built Olympiacos' European identity with a little formation called 4-2-3-1. Yes. And he did it but with the use of a really good playmaker or attacking midfielder, however you want to call him. He started it out with, um, with Fernando Bellucci in 2008-2009. Then it was David Fuster. And then they kept on going with that. His successors kept on going with that. We saw Tori Dominguez under Mitchell. And then we saw a little guy called Costas Fortunis, who understandably is injured and won't be back until next month. And we don't know how he will be when he comes back next month. 3-4-3, just, it is a very sophisticated system. It needs a lot of power. It needs a lot of pace. It needs really, really, really good fullbacks. That's what Antonio Conte taught us at Chelsea. And that's why Chelsea still keep going with it and still try to play that system. And they're slowly turning into a 4-1-4-1 formation like they did tonight against Tottenham. And they, you know, they barely won, in my opinion. You know, that Kane, if that Harry Kane goal did count, it would be a completely different story. I'm very confused about Olympiacos' identity because Martins also liked to use a 4-3-3 that used to lead to success. I'm not too sure what the identity is right now. And uh, I don't know if I said this at the show, but... Pauk missed a golden opportunity this season to actually at least compete with Olympiacos, at least take Olympiacos to the bone. If only Razvan Lucescu didn't insist so much at the, the same players who won him that historic double and thought to himself, you know, we do need to turn a page here. But there is a new technical, um, a, new tech, a, a new football director at Pauk right now who could help them, you know, make that change with Razvan Lucescu or without Razvan Lucescu at the helm. They really missed a chance this season. They could have really competed with Olympiacos, and maybe that could have worked better for Olympiacos. But I don't know if Pedro Martins is staying. Personally, I don't think he is. I think he is going to move on for something better. In my opinion, I'd be very surprised if we don't hear Pedro Martins as one of the uh, candidates for the Everton job because he was number four for the Newcastle job behind Unai Emery, Paulo Fonseca, and 
the person who is at the helm right now, Eddie Howe. So regardless of whether Pedro Martins is at the helm or not, next season is going to be very crucial in my opinion. Next season can go either way unless there's some radical changes, at least in the squad. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you there. Um, and a- as far as the identity goes, I wish I could say that this was the first time I felt like there was um, a disconnect between the, at, at the very least, the philosophy that we expect, the philosophy that we know uh, Olympiacos has versus what is practiced. And the reason I say that is because uh, last year when we interviewed Nicopolidi, Nicopolidi told us that the in the academies, they practice, and as we develop the kids, they're, they're developing them in a 4-3-3 system. So at that point in time, Martins was flipping last year between the 4-3-3, a 4-4-2, and then he, and then, of course, at the end of last season, the 3-4-3, which started against Arsenal and then on from there. So when I heard that, I said, well, wait a minute. If we are developing everybody in a 4-3-3, what is going on? What is going on here? Why, why are we developing our kids in a 4-3-3 when our most successful time under Pedro Martins, and it's not like he was only here for a year or two. He's been here for four seasons. Why aren't we trying to push a 4-2-3-1 or whatever it is he's doing? So that was the first moment I felt there was something a little bit disjointed. But then now here we're, we're pushing a, a system, a 3-4-3 system that you already said is very complicated. It's very complicated, and it requires complicated. top fullbacks that we no longer have at this club. And all that does is, and I've said this in the past, and I'm going to say it again, all it does is it kind of tells me at the very least, what Martins doesn't see in this team. And what he doesn't see in this team is that we, he doesn't see that we have a creative midfielder or a creative attacking midfielder outside of Agi Bucamara. Now, he did say that Matthew Valbuena was the most talented player he's ever coached, but he also said he doesn't, like, he can't last more than 45 minutes because he's 37 years old. So that tells me everything right there. He doesn't believe there are any other players currently available to him that have the capacity to have the offense flow through him in a 4-2-3-1. He, the 4-4-2 didn't work. We've moved on from that. We've tried 4-3-3. I don't know why we keep trying it when he does. It also doesn't work. So at this point, he is doubling down now on a much more defensive approach, relying primarily on our defensive players and eking out results. This is the way the this is just how he sees it, and it speaks to me of what he does and does not see in the in the team. But bringing it back to this game, what at least was slightly encouraging to me was in the lack of an attacking midfielder, right? Um, what he did today was employ much more, I'll say, or less discreetly, it was much more overt, was the employment of El Arabi as a false nine. El Arabi was much more on the ball, distributing and creating opportunities for everyone to get forward. And of course, Yorgos Masuras was doing everything to get into those open spaces. Wonderful job by him today. So much energy, making runs, presenting himself as an opportunity had a couple of besides the goal that he had today he could have had probably one or two more after that but El Arabi when he is in form and his hold up play is there what it's used to be and what we're used to seeing him do distributing the ball all over the place this can make up for that lack of a 10 that we have or at the very least until Agibu comes back and that's kind of what I saw today. Again, we already brought up that this game was, you know, Yanina was missing some players from COVID. We know they were missing their star striker, Perea, which is probably why they didn't challenge us on target at all or have any threatening chances inside the, the penalty area. But the silver lining here was we have played worse against worse, if I'm being honest with you. So... 
the fact to me that we were able to at least create a multitude of opportunities here shows me something. And it, again, it doesn't give me hope that we're just going to turn a corner and start playing beautiful football, but at least I see something here that I believe we can build on. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that at the very least. Well, when it comes to Matteo Valbuena, we just said it. I mean, in my opinion, he would have been in much, much higher regard if the uh, Karim Benzema scandal didn't happen. Uh, a fantastic player. And I got to say, I have a, I have had the, I'm still having the honor, actually, of working with uh, some of the best sports journalists in the UK and the world, I'm going to say. And one thing I've learned about the UK is that um, British people, they do not do any favors to any player. You got to show your skills on that pitch if you want their recognition. And I've heard the best from my colleagues in Britain regarding Mathieu Valbuena, especially for his stint at uh, Marseille. Pedro Martins, when he said that he that um, Mathieu Valbuena is the most technically gifted player he ever coached, well, I believe it. And I think a part of it was taken out of context a little. I mean, here's a manager who before Olympiacos managed Maritimo, Rio Ave, and Vitoria Guimaraes. I mean, how much quality could he have had? in his short (laughs) career so far. If he goes at Everton, then let me tell you who the most technically gifted player is that he ever coached, and his name is Ritzarlison. That's what it's going to be like. So it doesn't make... I'm not surprised by that. But then again, that doesn't mean that he doesn't rate Fortunis or Papea Busise or Agibu Camara or Madi Camara or Yorgos Masuras or Costas Manolas that he has right now, or even Jose Sa, Daniel Podense, Costas Tsimikas before them. That doesn't mean anything for them. In my opinion, Mathieu Valbuena is on another league. And like I said, he would have been uh, doing uh, much better uh, if it wasn't for the Karim Benzema scandal. Now, when it comes to today's game, I think one of the reasons why I love Gate 7 International is that it's a podcast that is not afraid to criticize Olympiacos and keep them into account, which is the most important thing, I believe in a football team. Olympiacos are going to win the league this season. Probably they're going to win the double. You know, they might actually do it. I don't think they will, but, you know, I've been wrong many times um, beforehand. And uh, when it comes to Pasyanina, I don't care how many they missed. I don't care how strong they were. I don't care how unlucky they were. It doesn't matter. You know, you're Olympiacos, you're going to beat Pasyanina. <laughs> That's, it's never an argument if a team like Pasyanina are not at full strength or they're not. Uh, Olympiacos should be should be targeting for much higher. They should be targeting for much better, especially after what they did in the 2019-2020 season, which they didn't build on because they lost their two top fullbacks. And since then, there hasn't been any, any work being done on replacing those fullbacks. I have been screaming about that at the, uh, the blogs. I've been screaming about this at the show. Unless Olympiacos get two quality fullbacks, there's not going to be an extra step. Yorgos Mirtzos in uh, Salonika used to say that it's uh, who used to play for Olympiacos. He did play, he did spend a few years and he was part of the team that um, completed the the record campaign in the Europa League. Back then it was called the uh, Cup Winners Cup, I believe it was called. Yes. And they made it to the um, to the quarterfinals against Atletico Madrid after uh, eliminating Monaco without Yorgos Vaitzi's goal. And uh, he said he couldn't believe that Olympiacos haven't at least replicated that record so far in the Europa League. They did it in 1999 in the Champions League, but they haven't done it ever since. They had that op- amazing opportunity in the 2011-2012 campaign when they got eliminated from Metalist. That's what Olympiacos should be gunning for. I mean, forget about the Greek League. Forget about the double. Who cares if you don't win the double? Yeah, you're going to win the Greek League, and you are going to win it because... the because the bar is so low right now. Even your biggest opponent right now, your most competitive opponent, not your biggest one, though your biggest one is Panathinaikos and will always be, but your most competitive opponent, Pauk, they don't really, they're not making that extra little step in the Greek league. So you are going to win the Greek league as long as you're pushing yourself for that big step in Europe. And right now we cannot see it. The game is so predictable. They're playing like a Greek team with crosses from the... uh, from the wings, hoping that Larabit, the Kimi, or whoever is on the uh, whoever is on the um, the box is going to get a header and score somehow. The passing is so poor, so poor. 
I can barely see Olympiakos completing three passes in midfield at Georgios Karaiskakis. Forget about the going abroad. There's a lot of work to be done. In, in my opinion, Pedro Martins or no, unless there's radical change during the uh, the summer transfer window, there could be troubles in the Greek league next season. And I don't know how they're going to make the, the radical changes because Olympiakos, again, are going to have to play qualifiers for the Champions League in July, the end of July. Am I right? Yep. Pretty much. So they're not going to have much of a preseason. So they need to start working right now. And uh, does it mean that Pe- Francois Modesto needs to find some more uh, hidden gems from Africa? So be it. You know, we need to learn to be a little more patient as well. You mentioned the academy. And Labros Irmo, Labros, our, fr- our good friend Labros wrote an amazing article the other day about how little work and investment is being done in the academy and how many quality players are just being forgotten in the shuffle because Olympiacos want. The fans and the club prefer ready-made solutions. Fast food is how I call them. Instead of, you know, putting the work into creating something. Olympiacos cannot wait for a coach like Bento to come out, you know, once every 20 years just to push a Rezzo or an Andruzzo or a Manthati out of nowhere. Some patience needs to exist. Some patience needs to exist. And I think a good idea would be if the, uh, if the club does decide to just do it, and up to a point, and I'll say this again, up to a point, disregard the usual fans moaning because they are a very loud minority, those who moan about kids playing instead of uh, quality players when they say we should have had right. good players in there instead of that. I think that's that's a good idea. So the headline here is that unless Olympiacos make, unless Olympiacos make radical changes, next season could be quite an adventure. It, it could be. Now, to your point um, about the academies and and – and transfers and needing things. And right after this point, I do want to get into some of these comments as well real quick. But I know a lot of people were not buying the uh, Nikos Kotsis hype about um, uh, about uh, Kitsos and about uh, Genitidis, who I believe he called the next Modric or the Greek Modric. Um I may not buy into the hype about those players quite so much, even though I am. Those are uh, young players that I thought I do think at least deserve opportunities in the first team. I think that the nature of the environment we're in, we're not going to be making big signings. I, I know some people want, you know, big signings in the winter so that we can compete. It's not happening. If you look at the payoff from us continuing in the Europa League, our probability of going past Atalanta as it is, we're not going to be spending big money. But the silver lining there is that we get to see some, you know, uh, Kitos might come up and, and play and and relieve Oleg a little bit. We'll see, hopefully we see uh, Genitidis come up. Maybe he does do something and offer us something in the midfield. That is a silver lining. Now, I do want to, uh, there are some comments coming in, um, some pretty good ones. Um, a quick question here from Agelos Kutz. I have a question for you guys. What will we do if Fortunis won't be able to perform? I mean, it's going to the look. Even same when, It's going to be yeah. the same thing. I mean, it's going to be the same. And it also, yeah. when he was healthy at the end of last season, he was our most expensive super sub. He was an almost 2 million euro super sub off the bench. Let's not forget that, guys. But so, it worked. It worked. But it did work. That's correct. He was the, he was the guy that got Olivia goes through to the... Uh, Last 16 of the Europa League against Eindhoven. Right. Right. So I, I do expect that he'll come back. But even if he doesn't perform, it's going to be more of this. So I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not hanging my hat on whether or not he comes back and is a superstar. Let's be honest here. Uh, we also have a comment here from Lifer828. First time I've seen this in the this guy in the comments. So welcome, my friend. Go back to the 4231 and put in Roni Lopez behind El Arabi. Well, Lifer, that's a question. Uh, that's something that we have been wondering about because supposedly Roni Lopez was brought in as a 10, uh, and we've only seen him play on the wing. So if it hasn't been tried or done yet, I don't think we're going to see that. Although that is something that has people have wondered. You know, Roni Lopez came in. He was supposed to be a 10. He looked like he was starting to catch form. Now he's, we're barely seeing him. You know, uh, God knows what's going on there. I got a question for you about Ronnie Lopez. Doesn't it make more sense to just sell, just let him go back in the summer and use the money that you were going to pay for Ronnie Lopez and buy two really good fullbacks? Right. Um, no. 
Surely you're not going to pay all that money for Lopez. Surely. No, I'm not paying. No, I, what I'm thinking about is like if 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 I would just let him go back like right now is like my thought process. Not now, not now. I mean, you need him right now because you, you don't have a lot of solutions. But uh, the summer, you're not going to pay all that money to buy. No, him, right? I'm not. No, absolutely yeah. not. I, I at this point, honestly, I don't even know if I'd pay one or two million for him. To be honest with you, um, you know, like I I caught a little bit of flack at the end of last season. When I said that Bruma, you know, I wasn't going to pay what PSV wanted, but I said, you know what, if we can get that fee down to one and a half, two, I would take Bruma because we did get material results from him. We got material end product, right? And people are like, oh, we don't want Bruma. He's garbage. You know, we, we can find, uh, we can find somebody else. You know what I mean? But I don't look what, look what the production has been on the wing for us this year. You know, we besides Masuras when he was in form, we haven't had a lot of great production. And I think Bruma could have been useful to us this year, but I digress. Um, uh, but listen, before before we continue to go on any more of these tangents, you know, it's that it's about getting to that time of the podcast where we do our man of the match and our coach's grade. And I think we should quickly get that out of the way. Uh, you know, otherwise we could we could talk about some of these what if scenarios. It feels like all day. You know what I mean? So uh, for me, uh, when it comes to man of the match and coaches grade, um, I'll go first. My man of the match today is going to be uh, Yorgos Masuras. Um, the the energy level he had, he got into great spaces, uh, made himself available for El Arabi constantly when El Arabi was holding up the ball. Masuros was making great runs. He had a couple of great interceptions today, and it was his follow-through on the first goal where El Arabi, the ball was played into El Arabi. Of course, it, it, he gets a touch on it, but it flicks over him, and Masuros follows through after Salyakas has an awful little header back to the keeper, kind of scoops it and gets the goal in. I thought that was, I thought that was wonderful. His energy was great. I'm going to give him my man of the match with, of course, a shout to Youssef El Arabi for, for having very solid hold-up play. I have been very critical about his the regression in his hold-up play this season. And today, it was another performance uh, to, that reminded me about the hold-up play we've seen from him in the last two years. And this is the consistent hold-up play we need to see from him so that we can get not only more out of him, but then so he can get that 2 million. If he wants that 2 million euro contract again for next season, it's not enough for him just to be scoring those 15, 20, whatever goals he gets this season. The holdup play comes with it. That's why he got that contract. So runner up El Arabi, but my man of the match goes to Yorgos Masuras. And as far as the coaches grade today, look, when, when your opponent doesn't get any shots on target and they can't get a shot beyond 25 meters or under 25 meters on the target, what can you complain about? There wasn't really anything threatening. We had plenty of opportunities. You know, okay, maybe the play could have been prettier, but what, with what we've seen and what we saw today, I was I was happy with the performance. I might have a couple grievances here with the substitutions, but in the end, we got the result. And based on what we saw in the last three games, I'm not going to complain and nitpick too much. So I will give an A- minus to yeah. Coach Pedro Martins, and I'm going to leave it at that. Well, uh, hit the nail right in the head with Masuras. I agree with everything you said. And I'm also going to add that uh, it was his goal at um, on the fourth minute so early into the match that really set the pace in the game. Uh, got Olympiacos to uh, play in a more confident kind of manner because they knew they were already uh, holding the lead. So worst case scenario, they equalize. They're not going to find themselves behind. He set the pace. And that's the kind of player Mayoros Masuras is. He's not the most uh, quality player Olympiacos have or any team could have, but he brings results. He just, he's substantial is what he is. His substance. He won't, get the ball. He won't pick up the ball and do all those crazy uh, dribblings. He's not going to shoot. He put together all those amazing shots. He will bring substance into the game. When it comes to Pedro Martins, a minus a lot of, um, a lot of crucial uh, absences within his squad still got what he needed from a team like Pasianina, but much, much harder uh, challenges ahead. 
Palk on Sunday at Tuba, which is going to be difficult. There's a there's the rematch with Panetolikos, which could go either way, really, uh, considering their form, their recent form. And Atalanta, which, if uh, I can be honest with you, I'm I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this here. We're going to have a much deeper dive on Atalanta at another at a later stage, but I am going to give a little uh, a little teaser here. In my opinion, this is either going to be a very very easy qualification for Atalanta, or it's going to be a really really big nail biter. My opinion. I said it. <laughs> well. What, at this point, I don't know if it's just going to be another stressful experience. Uh, we do have a quick comment from uh, our buddy Costa, Calispera Magas. To be frank, Gotsis didn't call Kenitidis the next Modric. He just said Kenitidis idolized him. Still, Kenitidis and Modric in the same sentence. Ridiculous. Thank you for checking me on that, Costa. You are right. I saw Kenitidis and Modric in the same sentence, and I lost my mind when I read that. Good, good calling me on that. Thank you. And well, quick, if I if I could if I could add on this, I haven't read Nico Scotis's article, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest. But I do think Nico Scotis is a very um in my opinion, he is a talented journalist. I have been following his work. And to be honest with you, I am gonna be very uh interested to see what uh uh, Kitsos, Xenitidis, and any kind of kid from Olympiacos B can bring to the um, to the first team. I'm very glad with the initiative of Olympiacos B. I feel like there's a lot of people within the team that care about the team, and it could help them uh, improve and develop into the kind of players Olympiacos need. There's Ariel Bagas and Yorgos Anatolakis who love the club and know what it means to play for a team like Olympiacos, which is especially hard to explain to foreign players. So I'm going to be very interested to see what they can bring to the uh, first team. All right. I definitely agree with you there. And before we go into our scheduled ad read, I, there is one other question before we go into that from Christina Ikonomidou. Maybe sell Onyekuru and promote Lovera to the starting 11. I would be fine with that, to be perfectly honest with you. But I think the fact that Lovera wasn't a part of the team today, if... Uh, if he wasn't in the squad today, again, assuming I didn't see anything about injury or sickness, but if he wasn't a part of the team today, part of me wonders if Lovera will will be a part of the team at all. But that's just that's just me uh, postulating on that. Um, anyway, guys, listen. Or maybe sell on Yakuru, period. <laughs> I, listen, I am not, not going to disagree with you there. I am not going to say no to that either. Um, anyway, guys, I have uh, a little bit of a rhyme for you today. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day, guys, is just around the corner, and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This Valentine's Day, it's time to join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped the leaders in below-the-belt waist grooming. With our exclusive offer that you can see here below, enter G7INTL for 20% off any orders you make, plus free shipping. Look, guys, I know the holidays, they went by so quickly, but listen, remember to take care of yourself and get the right tools for the job. Peter talked about it in the past. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little bit more special. The Lawnmower 4.0, you guys have seen the video. I shaved my buddy's head with it. Before I did anything else, of course, that would just be disrespectful. Come on now. I had people send me DMs about that getting upset with me. That thing is wonderful. We've also had some of our followers... Uh, or at least I've had some people DM me telling me how awesome the shampoo and the body wash is. So I haven't tried them personally myself, but we've gotten some great feedback about that. Check it out. Uh, good enough to wear. At, my own brother is currently subscribed to Manscaped getting the, the body wash. He loves that stuff. For me, it's the boxers. Costa has mentioned them. Uh, other Costa, sorry. Uh, Costa K. <laughs> <laughs> the boxer, the boxer briefs, anti-chafing, my friend. They are fantastic. They keep you warm as well. Good stuff. Great product here from Manscaped. Don't forget, everyone, get 20% off 
using our code G7INTL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use G7INTL. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Love it. Ah, Love these ad reads, Gustav. They're so much fun, my friend. Uh, But, you know, as we digress from... As we digress from the post-match, uh, Chris Wheatley checking in just in time for Manscaped. Chris, you've got great timing, my friend. Great timing. I, I, I think we should make a little compo one day. Maybe a nice <laughs> compilation, in my opinion. That's my opinion. <laughs> oh, we got a rhyme here from Aguilo. Roses are red and red is a cherry. Don't let your balls be so hairy. Aguilo, that was, that's good. I might quote you on that on the next ad read, my friend. Anyway. Guys, we promised you after the post-match, we had a bit of an exclusive here with Costa. Costa wrote an article about the rumors about Pape Cisse going to the Premier League. So, Costa, what have you got for us, my friend? What is the latest being said about a possible Cisse transfer to the Premier League? So the information I have, and I wrote an article about it on The Sun, is that Newcastle are interested in signing Pape Abusise from Olympiacos during the January transfer window, they are willing to pay a fee in the region of 12 million pounds, which is almost 15 million euros. Uh, there's been a meeting with uh, Cisse's representatives. Uh, it went well. I don't have any info about um, a meeting with Olympiacos yet, but my sources do tell me that Olympiacos are, would be interested to talk about that fee to cons- to seriously consider that fee and consider a deal with Newcastle this month. Uh, there's a very good chance, though, that Newcastle is not going to be on their own in their bid to sign Cisse because uh, I've known since October that uh, more Premier League teams are interested in Cisse. Those are Arsenal, Everton, Leicester, and Liverpool, who have been following his um, his development for quite a few years in the Champions League and the Europa League. They saw him against. Arsenal, obviously, Wolves, uh, Man City, Marseille, AC Milan, that far behind, that far, that far back. Uh, and they also saw him against uh, Porto as well. Uh, why are Newcastle interested in Cisse? Well, they saw they, they've been keeping tabs on him uh, during Copa Africa, the African Cup of Nation, which, as you know, my uh, dear friend Ari, uh, Cisse has been um, replacing. Senegal captain and Napoli superstar Kalidou Koulibaly, who was tested positive for coronavirus and missed the first two games against uh, Zimbabwe and Guinea. So uh, he started and he helped them uh, get a clean sheet and a victory. So it was a 1-0 victory over Zimbabwe and a goalless draw uh, with Guinea. He didn't start against Malawi because Koulibaly uh, returned. Uh, but he did play a big part in helping Senegal top Group B and make it to the last 16, where they're going to face uh, Cape Verde, which, you know, someone we know plays there called Gary Rodriguez, who also scored a wonder goal against Cameroon. And I had the uh, honor of calling that for the, for, for the Sun. Uh, Cissé also made it to uh, the best lineup uh, of Game Week 1 from Sofa Score, which is a stats uh, website kind of like Opta. Uh, the only representative of Senegal. He was joined by Riyad Mahrez of Algeria and Manchester City. Uh, just a few things, though, about what Newcastle really want. What Newcastle want is a centre-back, and they're desperate for one because they've conceded most this, the second-highest amount of goals in the Premier League this season behind Norwich. They started with Sven Botman from Lille, didn't work out. Then um, they tried out with Benoit Badiasil, but there are some issues about his uh, muscle injury. Benoit Badiasil plays for Monaco, very uh, uh, impressive player, but he has picked up some. Uh, he picked up a muscle injury. The priority right now is Diego Carlos from Sevilla, and there's been uh, an agreement between the club and the player, but uh, that is Newcastle and Carlos. But Sevilla turned down their 25 million pound offer, their most recent one. Uh, so in my opinion, Cissé is not like the way I understand this. Cissé is probably not a priority uh, for the centre-back position, but definitely someone to have in the team. Definitely someone maybe to work with Diego Carlos because uh, they've been following his uh, – so many Premier League teams have been following his career for quite a few years. A very talented player at Olympiacos, a luxury for uh, the Greek League, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot more updates real, real soon.
Well, let me ask you something, Costa, because you had also reported uh, earlier this year that Newcastle were also interested alongside Liverpool and even Arsenal, if I remember correctly, for Agibu Camara. So is there a possibility that they would try to do some type of combo deal, maybe a double a double move for, for the two together or that there would be interest or would it be treated separately? Well, I mean, when it comes to Newcastle, I was having a discussion with um, with a colleague of mine in England who also happens to be a Newcastle fan, and he expressed a fear he has about his team. He said that everyone knows that Newcastle are the richest club in the world, and everybody knows that Newcastle are desperate not to get not to be relegated. That's never happened before. The richest club in the world getting relegated? That's never happened before, and it's never going to happen again. Probably never going to happen again. So they understand that. So a lot of clubs will think that, hey, I got this really good player here who costs 10 million pounds. But here comes the richest club in the world who also happens to be desperate not to be relegated. So it's not 10 million pounds for them. It's 20 million pounds for them. So I'm not too sure how Olympiacos or any kind of team would uh, approach any interest from Newcastle, especially mid-season. Mid-season, the January transfer window is the worst transfer window out of the two we have. Uh, I was talking to Nikos Dabizas, and he told me that the only thing you can do in the January transfer window is tweaks. That's all. You can't build a team. You can't bring a player that's going to save you from relegation or win you a title. You can, you can just do tweaks. Realistically, it's happened. It's happened with players coming in and saving teams from relegation, but realistically, it's not going to happen. So, Olympiacos still needs Cissé because they want to win a double. Uh, they still need Cissé because they're hoping um, that they're going to eliminate Atalanta. We keep on dreaming is the slogan, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm not too sure about Olympiacos' strategy, but in my opinion, if they're smart, they are going to push the envelope a little bit, at least in January. Summer, completely different story. And Olympiacos are pretty full in the centre-back department. Agibu, uh, my sources tell me that uh, people around him are convinced he's going to be in the Premier League next season. So it's a completely different story there compared to Cissé. Uh, I don't think Agibu is going to stay at Olympiacos. I'm going to be very, very surprised if he stays, especially if he keeps on performing at the AFCON and his injury is not too bad. So it's a completely different story there. They do see him like kind of a boy wonder kind of thing. He's, there is a bit of a managerial influence as well right. in that. Only thing he has in common with Yaya Ture from his time at Olympiacos, the first thing is that, you know, the whole thing that there's this sense he's not staying. Right. Well, that makes sense. And thank you, Costa, for that great, great information and the great update about Cissé. Look, uh, the the one thing is we can at least say that this club, especially in the last few years, every season there is a big ticket signing or a, I should say a pretty big sell that occurs at least once a season. That's a nice thing to get in the habit of, especially with so many players going into the Premier League. Our exposure to the Premier League, the better it gets, the the more larger fees, I should say, we can command. So it is good. However, on the flip side, if you lose Cissé, you have to find a way to replace him, right? Uh, if you have to worry about the hole that's being filled. I think if we get a nice fee, I think if that $15 million comes, I don't think we can say no, given what's happened to us in the past with players we've held for too long. I think you have to take the money while the money's good, uh, personally. And we also have to make sure that we properly, properly, re-bolster the squad or we I should say rebuild the squad to you know to maybe not necessarily to replace exactly what's left or to make just to make sure that a hole isn't left once Cissé leaves uh now there's a couple more questions here or comments at least Costa that I think we uh should comment on uh Maritzolakis we sell expensive and we get cheap players look my friend this is the model that a lot of Portuguese clubs have and it works for them. It's not about how cheap the player is. It's about whether or not that player has talent and it has something that you can build off of. Look at look at Mari. Look at Agibu Camara. Look at now Fadiga. These are players that we're getting for nothing. Some of them are projects and it's going to take time. Yes. But this is the only way that we can ever hope to compete and get more money for coffers to build a better team. The money's not going to come from Greece. And unless we're always in Champions League, that money's not sustainable either. We have to have another revenue stream so that we can continue to build the team and slowly but surely build it for the future. So unfortunately, that is that's how it is. 
And Olympiacos uh, cannot buy top shelf players. It nope. just doesn't. Modern football doesn't work this way. They also need to want to come to Olympiacos. That's also exactly. another little little problem that exists in football. You got an amazing player who plays in England, Spain, Germany, France. Uh, who am I missing? I'm missing someone. They need to want to come to Olympiacos. And the Greek league doesn't offer competition, doesn't offer enough money. Yes, there's the Champions League and the Europa League, but compared to what they can get in Spain, England, Germany, France, right. Italy, that's what I was missing. They need to want to come. So Olympiacos can only hope to uh, sell expensive and buy cheap and create something, keep selling expensive. Exactly. We, we Guys, we have to be realistic here. And the niche that Olympiacos has found itself in especially in the last, I'd say, 10 years, is we are one of two things. We are a stepping stone for some of these developing players to get exposure and to get first-team football, especially in Champions League, whether it's like a Podense or Amadi and Agibu Kamara, or we're a second-chance saloon. Uh, we're, we're players that maybe have that talent or something happened in their club. Like, think of Joel Campbell, guys. Uh, came in and his career was was re-sparked, right? It was reinvigorated when he was just on the bench doing nothing at Arsenal. He came in, had a lovely season, then Wenger wanted him back. Everybody wanted him back. Think Things like that. So that's this is what we have to capitalize on. This is where our money is going to be coming from. Uh, another comment here from Christina Economidou. Uh, this is in reference to Cissé departure. Uh, and the replacement, very simple. Avram, just kidding. Markovic will have to grab that chance from the horns if he wants to play in the squad. We hope, but it doesn't seem like Pedro Martins has him in his plans at all. Oh, or here Pedro you go. Pedro Martins might not be at Olympiacos. Well, I don't think he will. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he will. I, I think listen, I have already like accepted the fact I'm that he probably won't be here. Look, yeah. that's that's just I how I looked will. at it. Yeah. Um, a comment here from George Kefalas. One piece of good news is that Nigeria were eliminated and we will not be deprived of the services of superstar Henry anymore. <laughs> I've seen a couple of these now in the comments. Uh, people, uh, people are taking some jabs here at uh, Onyakuru. Uh, Viper Viper 3 here, Costa, in agreement with you. Martins is leaving this summer. The club decided to leak through Nico Kotsis that Martins is close to agreeing a new contract deal in order to preserve a healthy dressing room during his last months. Well, that's an interesting strategy, to say the least. Um, and look, it's the whole situation... And we're, we have some stuff in this video short that I told you guys in the beginning of the season. Look, I, it's okay. Look, we can say that the product hasn't been good enough, right? For, for, as, for Olympiacos, it's not what we expect. There have been problems, right? COVID, there's a lot of things that have affected this team. Injuries, COVID. But other teams have had to deal with these things too. AFCON, right? We just haven't managed it. Now, we're in first place, and we still have a, a nine-point lead in first place, right? So we have managed by the skin of our teeth to keep things that way, whether it's by our own volition or because the other teams in the league are just that much more shitty than we are. That's just how it is. But we also need to recognize what Martins has done for this team, the stability that he brought to this team. Yeah, you know what? Maybe Lambro's right. Maybe we're kind of back to where we were when he first came in. But this team was a freaking disaster. Disaster four years ago, guys. This was a dis when Hazi came and met and blew the biggest transfer budget Marinakis has given any one coach in the summer. 44 players, a little teaser, 44 players left the club in one summer after that Hazi season or three months of Hazi and then the roulette that happened, the coaching roulette. So we do need to recognize, like, Mar Martins may have, I don't want to say overstayed his welcome, but things have gotten away from him here. But it doesn't take away from the good stuff that he's done for us. It doesn't take away from the fact that he is a great coach. Okay? He is a great coach. He's an amazing coach. And like I said, do not be surprised if we hear his name uh, for the Everton job. Do not be surprised. 
Right. Watford so, will be looking for a new manager soon as well. Uh, I can tell it, you that. They are going to be looking for a new manager soon. Exactly. I think there was a, there was a journalist of, I, and for Watford, I believe, Sam Street, that mentioned something like that as well, I believe, on social media. Uh, so, but yeah, so, I mean, I just, I just want to temper because like, you know, we do, we do, when you, when you talk, when fans talk about football, right. And you, we start talking in our echo chambers here, it has the propensity to get very negative, right. And we can be sometimes needlessly critical or, you know, there's, there's being critical, right. And you're, you're critiquing and things about the club, but then there's also like unnecessarily toxic in a, in a respect. And so I think sometimes it's it's good for us to take a step back and recognize where we've been. And that doesn't take away from the poor performances and the poor things that we've seen this season. But we do have to take certain things into respect, right? And what he's done at this club, yeah, maybe it fell apart this season, sure. He, but we're all going to remember the great moments that we had here, the stability that we had here that no other team in Greece has had. The only thing I would like to add is that the Besnikasi squad that finished third in the Greek league, and they were lucky not to have playoffs, they were lucky not to have playoffs, would have been destroyed by the Olympiakos team that finished fifth in the 2009-2010 season. They would have yeah. been annihilated by that team. Absolutely right. pummeled. But let's put that into account. Exactly. So... That being said, you know, I, we're coming up on an hour here, Costa. Yeah. Indeed. Do you have anything, anything else you'd like to add before we begin to close up here? I think it's that point of the season where you just look at short-term targets for now until you get to the summer and you can actually rebuild, sell, whatever the hell it is, see what, what the hell happens. Yeah, I mean, I'd be very surprised if Olympiacos lose the league. I, I mean, I can tell you that the... The feeling in Greece is that Olympiacos are already the champions, so that's not even really a conversation. Push yourself for something big at Atalanta. Like I said, either Atalanta are going to make it through really easily or it's going to be really dramatic, like something amazing could happen at Bergamo. I am not completely um, counting that out, something crazy happening at Bergamo. And at least win the double. If you, if you don't push yourself in Europe, then do it in the Greek Cup. Difficult opponent, Panetolikos. Not maybe not difficult, but you know, a surprising opponent, maybe. Right, or at least one maybe we underestimated. Right, not just maybe. as yeah. not just as a team, but as a league. I mean, first yeah. Ike, then us, and then they destroyed Ofi. Right, mm. there's maybe a little bit more to them than I think we all gave them the credit for. At the very yeah. least, does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, and then one other thought, actually, if what Viper said, if what Viper said is true, I haven't heard that Nikos Kotsi's piece yet. Or Reddit, I should say. But if if that's true, then I hope that maybe Pedro Martins bloods more of the young guys if he's going to be out the door anyway. I would like to see maybe some more of the academy guys, Sorlis, Kitsos, you know, guys see the field more with the first team. Uh, yeah. That would that would be my ask. Uh, so, guys, if you haven't done so already, please please hit that button on the bottom like subscribe don't forget to follow also if you don't do so on other on all of our platforms on social media help us continue to grow this community help us create a large community for the club that we love the club we believe is the biggest club the best club in the world help us continue to do so and hit that like and subscribe button and lastly thank you guys for listening especially all of you that made it this far we really appreciate all of you. Uh, it's so wonderful seeing all of you guys in the chat every week, the conversations we have, even those of you that may disagree with what we have to say. This channel, this space, isn't just our voice. It's not me. It's not Costa. It's not other Costa. It's not Lambro. It's Peter. This is the fans' voice, right? This is by the fans for the fans. Your voice counts as much as ours do. We love to talk to you. We love to hear from you. Please, please, please keep it up, everyone. And... Until next time, this is Gate 7 International. You just listened to an episode of the Gate 7 International podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiakos fans from Brussels to Tokyo, from Toronto to Geneva. 
We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never miss out on the latest updates and stories of the team you love. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow us on social media at Gate7INTL. Give us a subscribe on YouTube or even leave a review on all our podcast channels. Until next time, this is our team, our city and our story. Thrilos, he said. Στο μυαλό κάτι μαγικό.